you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. Founders, in, in order to leverage their board, I think the most important thing is that the, the founder drives the conversation and uses the board as a resource, uh, remembering that the board works for the company and for the founder, uh, not the other way around uh, when it comes to uh, providing resources, engagement, and, and helping to uh, establish strategy. I think the, the very best boards are editors, uh, not creators, and uh, the founder needs to, to lead the board and to leverage the board, you know, identify the specific ways that, the, that individual board members can be helpful or potentially that the board as a group can be helpful and then make those tasks. Uh, I think when you, when you establish your relationship in that way, then you can have a very transparent relationship with the board. You can um, you know, allow, you can have an open conversation at the board level and everybody is there in the best interest of the company and trying to do what's right for the business. Welcome to Founders FAQ. Today, my guest is Finn Barnes. Finn is partner at First Round Capital, a venture capital firm based in San Francisco and New York. Previously, he was creative director at N1 and founder of Respond Design. He is also a sneaker hat. Hi, Finn. Welcome to Founders of AQ. My first question is about how COVID affected startups. Do you think SF is still, again, more popular for startups uh, to start companies? And how do you think the VCs should make their deal flows and founders should start in SF or in other cities after this term? I think the, the impact of, of COVID is still playing out. It's sort of unclear exactly how... Uh, the long-term effects, uh, you know, will will play out across the startup ecosystem and in general. I think across across the global economy. I think it's um, in general. Our view has been that COVID has accelerated uh, the adoption of technology in certain ways. And so, if you imagine the uh, the crossing the chasm graph uh, with the you know the the technology enthusiasts and then moving you know, across the chasm to early adopters and and then um, Later and then, and then the laggards. I think what we're seeing is COVID is sort of pushing everybody to the left uh, in that graph and pushing people to adopt technology uh, who otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, there's a question as to whether that change in behavior uh, is permanent or temporary. And, and I think um, for for many companies, uh, it may it may end up being being temporary. Uh, at the same time, given the the current state of, for example, um, you know, work from home. Uh, with very large tech companies uh, adopting work from home and making a public statement about the permanence of that of that shift, and I think you'll see many many startups uh, adopt something similar. And so, distributed work uh, and the the reality of people being able to uh, to start companies and and grow them with distributed teams, uh, I think that's probably a, a lasting trend. Uh, to your second question around sort of the concentration in, in Silicon Valley, I think that. This, this the COVID reality, and particularly the the recognition of the potential for work from home, uh, has I think has a lot of people thinking about uh, it. Will, it will flatten the distribution, I think, in in some way. Um, and and so while I think Silicon Valley and San Francisco will continue to be certainly a technology hub, uh, the opportunity to um, have whether it's individuals or or entire companies 
uh, grow and mature and get to scale outside the valley, I think is is um, is greater sort of in a post-COVID world rather than than beforehand. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. And uh, you're, you're mostly focused on U.S. And uh, after this term, uh, do you make even deals like remotely? Yes, I think I think we are mostly focused on the U.S. Um, but again, that had that had a lot to do with the ways and the modalities of engagement. And so as as that modality shifts uh, to virtual, I think the the potential to open up, um, you know, our our ability to engage with founders in in the rest of the world, um, I think, is increased in the same way that that you may have uh, employees working, um, you know, sort of across across the country, certainly, and potentially globally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. And uh, my my other question is most of the startup scene. And uh, for for the Series A, after Series A, uh, for founders, you will get a new uh, new members on on your board. And leveraging the board members is uh, pretty important. And what do you think? How should founder really leverage the board? And because it's just a uh, kind of top-notch team that you can hire for your company, and most of the founders after Series A, they don't have, they, they are kind of lack of those kind of skills to leverage the board members. So, uh, what do you recommend for the founders for this stage to leverage the board effectively? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that changes uh, with with the um, remote situation versus not. I no, think no, it's it's, the, it's, it's the about, very best founders. It's about general question. I just uh, I just passed. Oh, okay, yeah. get, it, get it. So I think I think yeah, founders founders in in order to leverage their board, I think the most important thing is that the the founder drives the conversation and uses the board as a resource, uh, remembering that the board works for the company and for the founder. Uh, not the other way around uh, when it comes to uh, providing resources, engagement, and and helping to uh, establish strategy. I think the the very best boards are editors, uh, not creators, and uh, the founder needs to to lead the board and to leverage the board. Or, you know, identify the specific ways that the, that individual board members can be helpful, or potentially that the board as a group can be helpful, and then make those asks. Uh, I think when you when you establish your relationship in that way, then you can have a very transparent relationship with the board. You can um, you know allow you can have an open conversation at the board level, and everybody is there in the best interest of the company and trying to do what's right for the business, um, rather than you know someone believing that you know the founder or the company should operate in a certain way because that that's their specific experience. I think you want to have um, founders maintaining relationships with boards that where the board is um, is there to provide advice and support, uh, as well as access to um, necessary resources. Uh, but I think when when the board either is, is much too passive, so not engaging in support, and is more gathering updates and, and then disappearing for a quarter and coming back again, or when the board becomes much more active uh, and and in many ways uh, is is establishing. A specific strategy, you know, rather than advising the founder, I think that you also have um, you know leadership by committee, which very rarely leads to success. Mm-hmm. I get it. And before uh, before the series, do you think uh, should the founder specifically select a specific partner of a VC and set up a relationship uh, before raising the round, maybe five six months ago? Uh, and after this trust relationship, and add this partner VC partner to the board, what 
what's the ideal way to do this? Yeah, I think I think that it's um, typically it is not a good use of founder time to spend time with investors uh, unless you're actively fundraising. I think every every VC will say you should build relationships over a long period of time, um, but I think in many ways the the most exciting funding rounds tend to tend to occur very very quickly, and the founders who are able to focus the vast vast majority of their effort on execution. Uh, in their business are the ones who, who end up with um, being able to identify the very best partners uh, and, and build long-term relationships post-investment rather than, than before investment. I think the um, having a clear sense of the type of partner that you want and making sure that you run that, that interview process and make the decision about which VC you pick, um, much as you would buy uh, you know a very expensive product evaluating the, the pros and the cons, the benefits and the, the deficiencies of that product, making sure that it's the best product for you uh, for the price that you're willing to pay. You're paying for a product with your equity um, and then buying the product uh, that you feel is best is the way you should run your fundraising process. But I think that so long as you feel you can, you can educate yourself uh, to the nuances of the product being offered, um, I think that you know that's something you can do over a period of weeks and doesn't need to be done over a month. And I think the best information typically comes from referencing uh, other founders that the VC has worked with rather than spending, you know, a couple hours together over the course of six months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get it. And uh, for, for the fundraising, uh, when, you, when you first uh, meet the founder, how do you assess the founder assets uh, match the current startup vibe that she's starting it? Uh, what's your assessing criteria for this? So, so when I talk to founders, I, I tend to to look for alignment. We, we think about you know founder market fit in some ways, and and typically this this comes from um, a conversation that I think of much, much like an interview, where trying to understand the founders' motivations, their unique insight into the market, the the path that they've navigated, the earned wisdom they've gathered along the way, uh, and based on all of that their assessment of the market, um, the way they make product decisions, uh, and, and, and only the way they handle uncertainty. Uh, and, and then with that, uh, looking at the way they take that uncertainty, how they prioritize what they believe is critically important, what they believe is not, um, then figuring out if I believe that those priorities uh, and that, that unique insight, the earned wisdom, all align with an attractive market and something where I believe we could be tremendously impactful in terms of partnering with them. Um, and there, there are many times where you have a, a strong business um, and a, a strong founder that we don't believe uh, is a good fit for our product, meaning uh, you know, we feel like they, they're someone who has a different mindset around company building than we do. And there's also times where you know, we think there's, we, we believe certain things are important uh, in terms of how the company should be built. And it's clear the founder has different beliefs. And, and it's not a question of who's right or wrong. The most important thing is to find alignment of vision and, and priorities, uh, you know, between an investor and an entrepreneur so that you, you have that, um, that shared view and can be both sort of pulling in the same direction, uh, rather than, than having any type of conflict. Because obviously it's the, it's the founder's business. Um, they're going to make the ultimate decision. And so um, you want to make sure that the, the investors that you bring around the table are additive 
to that process um, rather than being being sort of a distraction. And a lot of that comes from alignment of vision and, and a shared understanding of how to prioritize uh, in, in the race against time that, that is a startup. Mm-hmm. I, I understand. And uh, while they're raising the runs, uh, while some companies have like 500, 600k ARRs, but some other companies uh, has less ARR, while uh, for those companies having like 500, 600k ARRs couldn't raise or close the round, but for the less amount of uh, other companies close the round, great series uh, post seed. Uh, stage or series A. So what's the real proof points to really want to see in the pitch? What do you, what do you want to see the pitch rather than the revenue? Okay, revenue is really, attraction is really important. What's the key yeah. thing? Yeah, so I think, I think that um, every startup is, is unique. And, and while revenue traction or customer traction is one thing that could be important, um, there are many, many other things. And so when you when you think about the decision algorithm for an investor, these these elements of traction or progress, uh, the, the the founder, the, their process to come up with with the business idea and, and um, their leadership style and how they'll manage the way they're prioritizing things, um, how they think about learning and, and getting better. Um, I think the the team that they've attracted um, and your your belief about their ability to recruit. Uh, their their ability to sort of tell a compelling story and, and what you think that says about um, the ability to access capital down the road, uh, their their ability to um, you know the, the relative attractiveness of the market um, and and scale of that market. So I think I think there and, and then you weight these things um, in your algorithm. And sometimes the you know, typically there's there's a couple things that that spike that make it worth ignoring all the other risks. Because there's always a reason to say no. There's always a reason that, that a startup won't work. Um, that, that's why they're so risky and, that, and that's why they're so interesting. But I think that the, the really compelling piece of any company tends to be the, the one to three spikes uh, in that in, in, that make them anomalous and, and make them really stand out. And that could be across the, the product, the market, the founder, and the team, um, or, or some combination. And so I think that... Uh, there isn't one metric that matters more than any other, and particularly the seed stage. And so I think the, the idea that uh, if you have revenue, you, sh- you should be able to raise, and if you can't, um, even though you have the same revenue as somebody else, that somehow there's there's a problem. I think is is a little bit um, is, a, is a little bit of a of a, of a, a red herring through a trap uh, versus kind of understanding there's there's many many inputs uh, to a decision process. And there'll be in any in any given decision, I think there'll be two or three reasons that, that somebody says yes. And if you have tremendous revenue traction and and an amazing you know high margin economic engine with very low churn um, in a large market, that, that may be enough. And, and someone may say this is this is a, a bet that we want to make. Um, in another case, someone may be you know pre-product but have an amazing team and have clearly created uh, you know a vision that really resonates with incredible talent in a large market and someone may say that that's actually the bet that they want to make. And so I don't think that there's a single metric that, that matters most. Um, there's but at the same time. And so, so therefore a founder can't sort of drive towards a single metric, um, you know, that broadly in order to be attractive to the capital markets. Uh, but that said, I think for, for any given investment that we make, there typically is one or two things that really stand out. Um, sometimes it's revenue, but mostly it's other things. 
Mm-hmm. I get it. And uh, on the valuation side, while founders raising money, do they only focus on uh, the amount they raise for the next 12, 18 months or really focus on the valuation and the maximum amount of money uh, they can get uh, for that round? What would the right approach uh, for this? So I think the very best partnerships between VCs and entrepreneurs are, are formed when when both the VC and the entrepreneur are optimizing for the third silent party in the room, which is the company itself. And, and so I think that the amount of money that, that a founder wants to raise should not be driven by a VC's business and ownership requirements and should not be driven by, uh, you know, a founder's desire to have a very large round with a high headline price or, or a very small round with minimal dilution. I think the, the very best thing to do is to forget price figure out an operating plan that you believe generates the data that you need um, to, to prove success, either to access capital again or to, to achieve profitability, and then uh, understand the, the very best way to sequence your financing um, against that operating plan and, and work, work as hard as you can to find the, the partner um, and, and price and dilution and so forth that you believe, as a founder, maximizes your, your probability of, of being successful. Uh, and you should be thinking about blended dilution across all the rounds of the companies or between inception to exit, because ultimately that's what matters. Um, and so a very small round uh, with minimal dilution at the earliest stage, you know, could lead to limited progress and the need for a larger round, um, you know, further into the company's life with a lower valuation. It's very painful. Um, alternatively, a slightly larger round that feels painful in the moment um, and represents a little more dilution could lead to a much larger round and a much higher valuation uh, later uh, based on success and, and therefore over two to three rounds, actually less solution for, for that founder. So, so I think that it, it really, um, you need to take a long-term view and uh, you have a hundred points of equity. That's all you ever get. There's nothing more valuable that, than the equity in your company, except for maybe your time. Uh, but they're both limited resources you don't get back. And so I think people want to be very, very judicious with how they, how they allocate those points. Uh, but at the same time, I think the, the very best partnerships are formed when, when everybody in the room is, is optimizing for the company and maximizing the potential for success of the company uh, rather than focusing on a single round game at any one point in time uh, based on the, the current needs of either a founder or an investor. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. And while they are reaching out to VCs, uh, do you think the warm intros are really matter and or uh, really crystal clear uh, cold emails still good? Yeah, I think I think that the um, in in, in the, the VC landscape, there's so little signal, there's so little data that the, the warm intro is a proxy for quality, which which may or may not be valid. But I think that for the for most most people's process, having an intro from somebody they trust uh, is is a valuable thing. It moves the entrepreneur into a different area of the. If you think of it as a sales pipeline, it moves you into a different area of the pipeline. Uh, because you can skip some some validating steps, and so I think that's the reason that founders should should seek warm intros. I think we have certainly taken meetings and made investments from cold emails, and so that does happen. But I think that the um, there is some some amount of signal in terms of a founder's ability to to build a network and and then to leverage that network uh, to make introductions for VCs, but also potentially for hiring and, and other, you know, business, you know, business development and sales. So, so I think that the ability to leverage a network is a signal in of itself. And that usually comes through from intro. But at the same time, uh, we certainly have, have made multiple investments and, and taken meetings from, from cold emails. 
And so that it's not that that's not possible, but I do think that the, uh, the warm intro, given the current operating paradigm for every VC that I know, is, is typically a, a much, much faster path to answer. I get it. I get it. And my last question is about, um, uh, do you think, uh, what's the biggest role of a VC other than, other than just putting money into a startup, like hiring, steel flops, intros? I think, I think that, um, the biggest role of the VC is, um, you know, every VC will have a couple of specific, uh, services that they can offer. Um, and, you know, whether that's recruiting and, and leveraging their network, um, you know, providing it. You know, advice and guidance, et cetera, uh, best practices and so forth. I think, in my view, however, the, the, the most important role of, of any investor is to, to very quickly find the path, uh, to helping the founder be their best, maximize their growth and learning, uh, over the course of leading the company. And I think that that founder decisions are the defining thing in the success or failure of a company. And so as an investor, believing that the founders want to make those decisions and, and that those decisions, you know, have to come from the very best answer to any challenge facing the company it has to come from the founder. If I, as a VC, can help that founder make better decisions over time, the cumulative effect of doing that, of, of being very, very good at bringing out the founder's best in any given moment, supporting them to make their best decision will lead to maximizing the potential outcome of, of any given business that we partner with. Finn, these are all my questions. Thank you for attending Founders FAQ. It's really nice to having you. Thank you. No, it sounds great. Thank you so much for including me and it's great to talk. Thank you, bye-bye. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.